Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. What does it mean to be his disciples? Do we, do we know how to answer that question? Oh, I, I know. It means to go to church, put some money in the offering plate, watch my language, at least when I'm around the preacher, right? I, I, it has to mean more than that. It has to mean more than that. I think, I think that Jesus says that it's more than that. So I guess the real question becomes, you know, one of the questions we have to ask when, when Jesus came back in his final words after he's died, after he's been resurrected, when he comes back at the end of Matthew and he says, make disciples of all nations, I think we have to ask the question, what does that mean? Are, are we making disciples? But maybe let's backtrack that. Are we being disciples? So a new year, a new opportunity to come to know Christ better, to learn from him And we, as Christians, cannot escape the central message of the cross. Without the cross, there is no Christianity. It's a waste of time. We're spinning our wheels. It is is pivotal. It is the crux of our faith. And it wasn't just pivotal for Christ. It's central to our own lives as well. And so I want to start today in Luke chapter 9, and and start with verse 18. When Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory And in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. What does it mean to take up our cross? What does Christ call us to? It is is nonsense to the outside world, but to the church it is everything. We are called to selflessness. The cross 
is selflessness. The first thing that Jesus tells us to do, if we want to follow him, is to deny ourselves. Now, this is not pretty, poetic language that, that, is, that is symbolic and has no meaning behind it. Um, most, most of my life, I'm going to be honest, I, I probably lived under the idea that there was some figurativeness to this, that it was all figurative language. That it's it's kind of like when the Bible talks about the four corners of the earth. We, we know that that was poetic language, the earth doesn't have four corners. Even the Flat Earth Society thinks the world is shaped like a plate. We, we know that the, that, the, that the world isn't square with four corners, but, but, uh, uh, you know, but that's not what this passage is. I, I, I don't think I was alone in that. I think a lot of Christians take this as poetic language. I think most Christians live like that. Christ is a high priority. He's, he's one of the highest priorities. Um, he, you know, in the list of things that make up 100% of our life, if the biggest thing is, is 20% and the next thing is 19 and the next thing is 17, and the next, you know, he's in one of the top three or four. If, uh, he, he, some people would even give him maybe, you know, 51 for me, 49 for God. That's awesome. That, look at how much of my life he gets and, and would think that that's a lot. And and when people say that Christ should have more, they think, boy, that's really radical. Imagine giving God 51% and only leaving 49% for me. That's radical Christianity. But that's not, that's not even Christianity, let alone radical. Christianity is God gets 100% and we have none. And that's what Christianity is, and it is all or nothing. Uh, and, and that doesn't sound like fun. If we're honest with our, if we're on the sinful part of us that wants to have fun, that wants to enjoy ourselves, and it doesn't, we don't like that. To deny ourselves is to be left with zero. Many of us don't even understand how we would go about that. What 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 would that look like? We're not comfortable with denying ourselves. God gets a lot, maybe most. That would be radical, but all? That's not even possible, is it? If, if we're honest with that sinful part of ourself, we wouldn't want to exchange the old for the new, to exchange us for Christ. We like our comfort zone. That's why we call it a comfort zone. It's, it's comfortable, and we don't want to move out of it. We only really want what God wants when it lines up with what we want already. And there's an awful lot of people that that's the extent of their faith. They want what God wants, and only when, when what God wants is what they already wanted. And they can call that Christianity. When God's plans don't mesh with ours, then it becomes an imposition that we resent and we try to figure out are there ways of reinterpreting the Bible that maybe we can make it say something different than what it seems to so obviously say. We don't always see that we need God. And if we don't think that we need him, then we don't understand why he needs to intrude upon our lives quite so much. Um, we don't always get, especially if you've been raised in the church your whole life, I, I certainly was, it's not easy to see that we are sinners in need of a Savior. If you've been raised in the church your whole life, you may not see that. It's something that you may take for granted. I'm not that bad. 
went to church my whole life and, and always was taught don't you know don't swear don't don't murder don't don't steal these are these are reasonably obvious things and most of us say yeah, I've never murdered anybody so I must be a really good person right we have to understand our guilt it is a choice to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow him. It's not something that accidentally happens. It's not something that's kind of trivial and flippant. And you know, We were talking in my Sunday school class, there's a radical difference between don't do, don't do bad and do good. An example that I gave was if you see somebody homeless on the street in need, don't be bad is easy. Don't throw rocks at them. Don't make fun of them. That part's easy. Most, you don't have to be a Christian to know that. Do good is an awful lot harder, isn't it? Suddenly you're forced to ask the question, what does God, you know, if Jesus were standing here, how would, what would he do in my shoes? And suddenly that becomes a lot harder than don't be bad. Do we see ourselves as sinners? We say that we're sinners, but do we, do we believe it? We are sinners in need of a Savior. We need God. The irony here, Jesus says, deny yourself Take up your cross. Follow me. The irony here, Jesus asks, what good does it do to, for a man to gain the world and lose himself? The irony is that only when you lose yourself, only when you surrender yourself to Jesus, do you actually get to keep yourself. Um, we, we try to hang on to that one thing that is most important to us because people are selfish. And, 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 if you're selfish, self is everything. And we and, and we've seen we've seen a lot of selfishness the past couple of years, to be quite honest. And and we see people desperately trying to hang on to something that we can't keep. We try to hang on to the one thing that we can't keep, but it's only when surrendering it to God through his son Christ that we get to actually have it. We get to actually be the person that God made us to be. Only in Christ is there freedom to be who we could be and and who we should be. You can gain everything else, but you will not be the person that God meant you to be until we deny ourselves. And that's not deny ourselves on Sunday morning. That's not deny 10% of your income when we deny everything, everything. And there's no... There's no Jason left. There's, no, there's none of you left. There's just Jesus. At that point, then we have the freedom to be who God made us to be, who we will be joyful to be. Uh, only when we deny ourselves and take up the cross are we able to be ourselves. That's the call of the cross. The call of the cross is selflessness. The call of the cross is also, and if that was a hard teaching, then we get to the fact that the call of the cross is also suffering. What does it mean to take up our cross? Do we, do we understand what that means? It's easy to read this passage and read into it what the apostles could not have understood. We know how the story ends, right? We, we know that Jesus is heading to the cross. They didn't know that yet. What a weird thing for Jesus to say out of the blue. Take up your cross and follow me was out of the blue. There was no reference to the cross before that. There was no, there was no foreshadowing. Again, back to my Sunday school class, we talked about this hindsight is twenty twenty. 
I can't imagine being a kid today growing up knowing that Darth Vader was always Luke Skywalker's dad. Because I remember in the theater, when, when it, watching Imp, it was one of the first movies I saw in the theater, watching that, that line when Darth Vader says to Luke, I am your father. And I know you sci-fi fans who haven't watched these movies don't get it, but it's, pre- it's pretty culturally widespread. When Darth Vader says that and everybody went, oh, didn't see that coming. And then the next movie, they made it worse and made Princess Leia Luke's sister. And you thought, oh, wow, he kissed her the last two movies. That's kind of creepy. Um, but, but the new generation doesn't know that. They've got hindsight as 2020, right? They look back on that and they've always known that. We as Christians read the take up your cross and follow me, and it just files away within everything else of Christianity. Well, of course Jesus would say that. He took up his cross. He hadn't yet, and nobody knew that he was going to take it up. You talk about coming out of nowhere. What a statement that he refers to his death before it happened, before the apostles knew of it. You know, From a storytelling standpoint, it's incredible foreshadowing. But to the apostles, what a bizarre thing to say. Take up this instrument of execution and lug it around. What does it mean? What did it mean to the apostles? What does it mean to us today? In Jesus' day, the cross was shame and suffering and torture and guilt and rejection. It wasn't seen as noble or a higher calling. It didn't have anything. We didn't put it on. We, we, didn't, we didn't make stylized versions and wear them as jewelry back then. What a, what, a, what a gross statement. I think that what God calls us to is so important that it has to be greater than us. That we recognize that it comes with suffering and shame and rejection. Peter tells us that we will suffer for being a Christian. And Paul says the same thing. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, if you're not suffering, you're doing it wrong. When I first read that from Bonhoeffer, I thought that was a very radical statement and didn't take into, you know, easy, easy for a man who was suffering under the Nazis, but, but harder in the United States, in the 21st century, we're not suffering from being Christians, are we? But I think Bonhoeffer is onto something. If your life, Francis Chan rephrases it, that if your life isn't changed by being a Christian, then you're doing it wrong. Okay, suffering may not be being tortured by Nazis. If it doesn't make a dent in your wallet, you're not doing it right. If it doesn't make a dent in your schedule, you're not doing it right. If it doesn't inconvenience you, you know, an inconvenience is a pretty light thing. There are things that inconvenience me that you know, non-Christians do all the time. So at the very least, it should inconvenience us. But if Christ gets 100%, there are days it should be more than an inconvenience, not just uncomfortable. There are going to be days when we suffer for being Christians, and we need to be ready for that. In the book of Acts, Peter and John considered it a joy to suffer for being a Christian. Now, that, that's weird. It's nonsense to the outside world. It sounds crazy, but they considered it joy to suffer for being a Christian. Nothing, nothing makes you look crazier than enjoying suffering. Now, let me enjoy is different than happy, right? Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Um, suffering shouldn't make you happy, but it, it fills us with joy. When we're a Christian, we're not talking about 
you know, getting getting picked on, and and it wasn't you know, it wasn't for for non Christian. We're talking about when being a Christian makes your life harder, and and sometimes it just makes our schedule harder, and it's not directed against us. You think, oh, I've I've got an evening, and 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 I was looking forward to watching some TV or reading a book or a comic book, uh, but I'm going to go to the soup kitchen and, and because I think that's what Jesus would do. That's, that's an imposition on the schedule. It's a good thing, but, you know, and, and that may be how it affects us, but it may go one step further. We may actually get attacked for, by, by people directly for our Christian, our Christian faith. Um, we're called to get out of our comfort zone, to share the gospel the way that God calls us. And some people in preaching, some people in evangelism, teaching, music, but all of us in our life, in how we live our lives, we, we live our lives too often as if we're a little embarrassed and ashamed about the gospel, as if it's ours to make apologies for, that it's so offensive. Yet there are wacky groups out there that call themselves Christians that I wish wouldn't, uh, protesting at funerals and things like that, uh, and, and, it do, and that embarrasses us a little bit when we share the same name. With, with some of those groups that they call themselves Christian and then act that way. But what we're talking about here is being embarrassed about just Jesus and his Bible. Uh, that this, is, this is what Jesus calls us to specifically. Um, when he says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. That, that, that's not other, other Christians. That's Jesus himself. And, and there are a lot of people that try to apologize for what Jesus said. But you can't do that and be a Christian. If we become embarrassed about Christ, we should just quit and walk away. We can't change him. We don't have the right to change him. If, he's, if he is the Son of God, and I obviously believe that he is, who am I to say that Jesus misspoke? Who am I to say that Jesus phrased things poorly? Or that he doesn't apply to the modern world? We have to speak out for Jesus, not be ashamed of him. And, and if we suffer for it, we need to try to see the joy in, in, in being a Christian who suffers on behalf of Christ, which is a radical shift in mindset, which is what we're talking about. Uh, it, it only works when we deny ourselves. When I don't, you know, well, Some of the best advice, a friend of mine back in Illinois said some of the best advice is never defend yourself. And he said this as a professional counselor. He said, if you've got to defend yourself, he said, you're, you're probably doing it wrong. He said, if your actions can't speak for yourself, you know, then, then in that case, he said, then that's the problem. And I, boy, I've had to ponder that. And, and there are places where maybe I do need to speak up to, to, to explain what I, things that I've done. But I think that he's right, that if I deny, it doesn't matter if I get attacked because I don't matter. God alone matters, and and that's been a lifelong. Ever since I've kind of hit lifelong, ever since I've kind of come upon this, it's it's the ongoing struggle to try to learn what it means to completely deny myself. That when I get attacked, to let it go because it's it's not about me. Who who cares if Jason gets attacked? What matters is that Christ is proclaimed. That's hard. My selfish ego keeps getting in the way, but I'm working on it. Only when we deny ourselves. Can we take up the cross? It doesn't work otherwise. The cross, the call of the cross is also then, you know, it's not just selflessness, which is hard, and suffering, which is harder. 
It's sanctity. And while that's a pretty word, it's probably the hardest of them all. What is Christ asking of us? We want to deny ourselves to take up our cross and follow him. Those three, three things. Following him is, is well, sanctification is the fancy word that means to be sold out to him, to belong to him. What we talked about all last year, holiness. That when people see us, they don't see us because we no longer exist. They see Christ in us in, because we've denied ourselves and we've put on Christ. Total, total consummation of our character. And, and so we should ask the hard question, is that what we want? I have a friend of mine who's a minister who says it is actually what we want. He says the problem isn't that we don't want to be Christ-like, we just don't have the courage to pursue that. And I've pondered that for a long time, and he may be right. We have to ask that question, what am I going to be? What's my life going to look like if I become super Christian? That scares people. You know, I, I, want, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be a holy ruler. I don't want to be completely sold out and freakish. I just want to be kind of an average Christian. We're so fearful of giving up our will to God. But we do this in the rest of our lives, don't we? I mean, the holidays are over. We surrender our time to our family visit family. We surrender our money to the government, maybe grudgingly, but taxes. And and we surrender our time to our bosses. We surrender our hobbies to families. There's things that we would do if we didn't have other commitments. Luke uses, and I chose the Luke passage on this specifically because Luke reminds us that Christ says to take up your cross daily. It's not a one-time event. You didn't do it the day that you became a Christian and then you're done. A daily submission to God's will. And that's why it's a burden. Look with me at at, at, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, submission to God is not a bad thing. And and his yoke is easy, he says. God's not out to make you miserable for the sake of being miserable. It's not his goal. There are hardships. The joys outweigh the hardships. He is, a, he is a good and loving master who gives far more than we give. We're not talking about making your life purposefully unpleasant. Uh, yeah, when we become a Christian, some things change, absolutely. But not everything. You don't have to, unless, you're, unless your favorite TV show is, is really, really inappropriate, you don't have to give up your favorite shows. You don't have to give up books and, and comic books. You knew I was going to say that. The, your life will, will look a lot like it did in many ways, ideally. Um, you know, the founding of our, our country was, was by some people that I would say were really devout Christians. I think that, that motivated them in so much of what they did. Um, and many people live. Many many people out there are living very good lives, and, and you know, dare I even say, in places in their life, we might call some of that Christ-like. You know, 
there are, there are non-Christians that are serving in soup kitchens, and we would say that that's Christ-like. That doesn't mean they know Jesus, but they don't have to quit doing that, right, when they become a Christian, because that's already something that's Christ-like in their life, something that Jesus would do. The difference comes down sometimes just to the little things. That's often how it works, isn't it? It's the little things, not the big things. Oh, yeah, we're not murderers or, or thieves, but maybe we lie or boast or we're greedy a little too much. Any, any is too much, right? Is Jesus Lord of our life, or is he just a priority? Has he consumed us, or have we just kind of tried to tack him in to the, to the leftover bits of our life, the spare hours? For those that are into techies, and more and more of us have iPhones, um, I've, I've had to learn the difference between an app and an operating system. The operating system is what makes this thing run. The app is just a program that we put into it. I can get rid of, I can get rid of apps and the thing still works. But on computers and, and technology, the operating system is why it turns on. It's why it works. God is not an app. He's the operating system. This is our destiny. We are to be like God in this world and in throughout eternity. When I am no longer me, I've arrived. I am to bear the resemblance of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There, there is this fear that that will somehow consume me and, there, and, 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 that that's a, and that that's a bad thing. But only in, when I am in the image of Christ for eternity, am I truly free to be me as well? I mean, that's, that's the irony, the, the, the nonsense of following God, that, that when I give up myself is the only way that I can keep who God made me to be. I, I wish I could explain it better. There are so many mysteries and paradoxes within Christianity, and that's one of them. Only in surrendering to him do you get to be you, who God made you to be because you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God wants you to be you. He doesn't want us all to be clones of each other. But only when we are Christ-like are we free to be ourselves. It's a tough teaching, but, but this is what the Bible assures us. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 335, His Way With Thee, which is an appropriate hymn of invitation, right? All of us have burdens in this life. All of us have a cross to carry. The question, I guess, is whose cross are we going to carry? Jesus says that you know, his cross, his yoke is, is easy, and it's the better one. Jesus also says that not all will taste of death, he said in Luke, before they see the coming of Christ. That's, that's not a re- before the coming of his kingdom. That's not a reference to the second coming, is it? Because everybody that listened to Jesus that day died. Obviously, that's about his reign, his church, and our acceptance into his kingdom now. Not, not when we die. Otherwise, we would have to taste of death to see his kingdom. That's a reference to we, we get to be a part of his kingdom now if we, if we want it. There are still those hearing this who will see the kingdom of God before they die. And most in here probably have. But if you haven't, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior and been a part of his kingdom, I'd like to talk with you about that after church. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.